Two Girls and a Grape. Always fucking shit up. Welcome to Two Girls and a Grape, where we attempt to learn about wine one bottle at a time. I'm Drea, and I am finally tan enough for it to be respectable. Respectable for what? Whom? Me! Like running around naked, or like what? Well, okay, that's a different story entirely, <laughs> but like, as a Latina, I am supposed to be a certain shade. <laughs> okay. And I have not been that shade for quite some time. She's been going into the Caucasian and territory. I've been tasty as fuck. It's been awful. I think I've been the whitest I have ever been. <laughs> and I went through a country music phase, okay? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. That is unfortunate. <laughs> it really is. Uh, I'm Jules, and I am just itching for a proper vacation that does not involve a wedding Home improvement projects or family obligations, like legit a fucking go somewhere, sit on a beach and have someone bring me cocktails and read 1,000 books. That's all I want to do. Sounds delightful. I mean, I think that's what we all want. It's not going to happen. I know it's not going to happen. Yes, it is. It's not. Leave your phone. No, I just mean like when I go places, I definitely do want to explore and experience where I am. So the whole like just sitting on a beach for seven days straight, probably not going to happen, but we're going to, we're going to try to get there. I, I have faith in you. Stay tuned. Two girls and a great family. Oh, it's me. So welcome, <laughs> <laughs> welcome to episode And 58. we're off to a great start. <laughs> As always, episode 58 continues our summer vacation dream theme, in case you couldn't tell. And this episode, we are highlighting my pick, which is a Pinotage from South Africa's coastal region, and South Africa has been on my list for a very long time. Um, and it, a South African wine was one of the first wines, proper wines, I ever drank. So, oh. so are they, I mean, I was underage, and it was at an Indian restaurant in Berkeley, but that's, again, a different story. Oh, that's a good backstory. Right, there you go. I have been to South Africa, and I have an uncle that lives in South Africa. Oh, aren't you fucking fancy? Yeah, my family's all over the fucking globe. You're, oh, I don't want to have to deal with family obligations. The Fergusons are everywhere. <laughs> that, that got ominous fast. Okay. Right. Well, um, to, to sort of ignore that scary-ass warning, um, let's start with our reoccurring segment, Cheers and Jeers. Jules, um, what are you cheersing and je- jeersing about summer travel? I'm cheersing to exploring new places, but also revisiting old favorites. So whenever I go on a trip or like that's not just a quick, you know, little like getaway type of thing, um, but a proper trip, I I always kind of vacillate between do I want to go somewhere that I really love that I've been before or do I want to try something new? And I think that there's amazing things to doing both of those. So cheers to just either... You know, just sticking with something that you know and that you really love and you know you're going to have a good time and you're familiar with. But also cheers to going out and fucking adventuring and kind of tapping into the unknown. Yeah, all the things. I love like that. like it. Yeah, and I think like balance is really important. Kind of being able to get both of those mm-hmm. in at some point. Yeah. All right, what are you jeersing? Fuck. Flight delays. Yeah, One. Up. Yeah. Um, I have not personally had a flight delay recently, but Rob has had a few flight delays. I think you mean um, Hot Rob. And that Hot Rob, yep, for everyone. Hot Rob. Um, but also, fucking people that don't know what the fuck they're doing in an airport or on Literally an airplane. the first time they've been into an airport. Like, is this the first time you've been out in public? Yes. Jackass? <laughs> the fuck are you doing? Clipping your nails on the airplane. Feet feet should never be exposed on a plane. Feet on my armrest. Brushing your hair on the airplane. So shit is just flying around ever. Go to the fucking bathroom. I I just anyway. So that's my jeers. So this could go on and on and on. She's really saying is she's gonna be heavily sedated when she goes on her proper medicated. Alcoholized, alcoholized. <laughs> alcohol. I'm gonna be alcoholized. I'm gonna be treated in alcohol. <laughs> As opposed to the de alcoholized wine we had. Oh, <laughs> God. Don't remind me. Yeah, that never was terrible. Never. <laughs> Alright, Drea, what are you cheersing to? Let's bring it back up. <laughs> bring it back up. So I am cheersing to what I call suitcase inception. 
This is my signature travel move for making sure I have plenty of room to smuggle back wine. So I pack all my bullshit, like all the things I think I'm going to need in a carry-on size suitcase. Mm -hmm. And then I stick that carry-on size suitcase in the next larger in the size. big size. Suitcase. Yeah. So essentially... And then I pad it with wineskins. Yeah. And essentially, I have an entire suitcase empty. That's my move. That's your move. Cheers to fucking me. You know who else says that? Who? Margaret, my mom. You know what? Respect, Margaret. Yep. Respect. I have a lot. I have bought a suitcase so on I vacation got one time. My entire luggage. Only suit. one time I've done that. I'm oh, like, you know what? No. And it was a little, it was a little itty bitty, like smaller than a carry on size. Cause it was just that much. <laughs> it, that was just that little bit extra that I needed. And I bought it at like a, yeah, super cheap. Like, so in Scotland, they're called TK Max instead of TJ Max. <laughs> and it's the same. It's like it's TJ Max, yeah. but there it's TK Max. It was like, so I got it for like nothing. I still have it. It's great. It's this little tiny, it's almost like a little cosmetics suitcase. So cute. Yeah. So yeah, I like no, it. No, our entire luggage set, we have the same luggage. John and I have matching sets. We got. Of course as, you do. As add-ons over the course of trips to Spain. Yeah. I like to shop and I will not apologize She does like to it. shop. And also I have been the recipient, received the benefit of her shopping in That's Spain. Right. So That's I'm not, right. I'm not going to fuck with her on that. You're welcome. What are you jeersing to? So this is sort of directly related to suitcase inception. Uh Uh-huh. Extra charges to check bags. Dude, it's such bullshit. Well, and here's the thing. Like, you know, I I travel a lot internationally, and you usually get a free check bag. I mean, yeah, you're, it's a fucking international right, flight. Like, you need more than one pair of underwear and a fucking toothbrush. So, God damn right, airlines. American Airlines just announced that passengers will no longer get a free check bag on international flights. And frankly, where the fuck am I supposed to put my wine? I mean, honestly. I mean, my God. So, Do yeah. they really need, and it's like, it's not $25, it's no. like $75 it's to like check a bag. $75 for the first one, and then it just keeps going up. These fuckers, man, all they do is make money. And you know what? And then they get fucking bailed out by the government when they go bankrupt. Yeah, and they're like, oh. That's a whole different conversation. Like, oh, the cost of fuel. Oh, the cost of Fuck employees. you. Oh, the cost you know of- what? That's the cost of doing business. Yep. Stop trying to fucking pass off the cost of doing business to your customers while you still make the same amount of fucking profit. Man, I'm... Whatever. Oh, she hot. She jeers on this too. Fucking drain her colonialism, me and the capitalism. Yeah, they go hand in hand. Oh boy. (laughs) They siblings. (laughs) All right, well, so yeah. Cheers, everyone. You're welcome. Cheers, everyone. nothing if not helpful here on two girls and a grape and for this episode shawanigans we are providing you with some helpful advice for your next travel adventure we're full of information everyone helpful information very helpful we've also, also literally full of shit we've also <laughs> literally made all the mistakes and have finally got travel down to a science speak for yourself I had I do not have a ton to a science Fuck. still. <laughs> well, maybe Jules will learn something too. Maybe. Um, so here are tips for making your travel lifestyle much easier and freeing up more time for you to drink wine while you're on vacation. You're welcome. You're welcome. All right. So first up, what's always in your carry-on? Jules, go. Chapstick. <laughs> it's in my nightstand. It's in every purse. It's in the car. It's I have extras up at the cabin. Oh my like God. it's soothing. You can I have probably <laughs> when I travel, I have at least three chapsticks. I have one in the purse, like the regular purse chapstick, and uh-huh. then I have one in my little like I have a little travel Aloha pouch that has like my wired headphones, the ear pods, some hand lotion, a chapstick, a hand sanitizer, and like a tissue. It's like my little, like, go kit. Just the one tissue? It's a go bag. Just like the little tissue packet. Oh, yes. Or maybe a couple loose tissues, depending on... If it's on the way back, sometimes it's just... You grab some from the, you know, bathroom. And they just stuff them in there. 
Anyway. All right. So what's in your? Um, what's, do, they, wait, what, do they do they all make it back? What do you mean? Like, do all the chapsticks make it back? Yes. I do not lose chapsticks. Oh, you don't fuck around. All right. All right. Just because you saw me find a random um, lip gloss in a pocket of a dress the other day. No, chapsticks. That she hasn't worn in like 10 years. Chapsticks. I know where they are at all times. Okay. All right. Uh, what's always in your carry-on? Uh, tea tree face mist from Lush. That shit is life-saving on planes when you just feel like all the moisture has been sucked out of mm. every crevice of your body. So... I'll usually like do a spritz of that in the bathroom. Don't be an animal and spray it all over the fucking cabin, by the way. Yeah, because that shit smells strong. <laughs> um, so I'll do like a spritz of that before I put my little sleep mask on and tuck but myself in. But isn't tea tree oil drying? No, it's so great. It's so easy. Because I feel like you use tea tree oil when you want to like zap a zit. I don't know. It works out real well for okay. me. Let's say rose, like a rose water. They Spray do have like good. a rose water one. Maybe too. try that one. Um, and then when we're about to get off, swipe a mascara. She's ready. She's ready to fucking hit a fucking tapas bar. Heck yeah, not topless tapas. Tapas. <laughs> okay, best wine accessory when traveling. Wine skins, one hundred percent. So these are basically like bubble wrapped wine bottle shape bags and you pop your wine in there it's protected it's all protected and safe you can seal it you got a little sticker it. thing it's you seal it sticker thing um you can live dangerously and not seal it because you're a cheap bitch and you want to reuse them later all right i reuse them after they're, they're sealed so sticky yeah it doesn't matter so anyways they're a necessity i always take at least six with me when i travel abroad I guess I know the legal limit is two. I do not care. That I I literally wasn't going to say that. Okay, well you're. I was going to I was going to say that is also one of my accessories that I travel with, but because I had to pick something different, I am going to say a bottle stopper. Also very important. I was torn because that is important. You know, sometimes you just need that room wine and you don't get through it all the way. I mean, truthfully, do I use it because the wine gets consumed? <laughs> yes, but it's nice to have the option. Especially if you are moving from one place to the next and you do have an open bottle and you're like, well, fuck, how am I going to get this bottle to the next destination? Front of Wine the, stoppers. Front of and the they take up zero space. Yeah, you can so. put them in your pocket. Uh, front put them the in your cosmetic bag. Friend, with your chopstick, your three chopsticks. Yes. Friend of the podcast, Lauren, was asking me if I have one of those like air pump things. Oh, yeah, yeah I, I have one, but right. not for like traveling. No, 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 not for tra- But I was like, why would I have that? And she's like, to save a ball. I was like, girl, balls don't survive in this house. Well, Lauren, it's because Lauren is, I mean, let's be honest, sometimes very lucky to be living by herself. Well, so she may not consume an entire bottle, whereas you and I have significant others oh, that will help us drink be, the wine. Be honest. But we also, don't need them to consume. <laughs> I also do spend a lot of time by myself and I yeah, consume them. So anyway, <laughs> also, Lauren, I really would like to know. How many bottles you're actually pumping the air out of? (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, in-flight entertainment, Jules, what are your essentials? I feel like you and I are going to be similar on this. I have to have a variety of reading material. For a short flight, I'm good with having like one book that I know I can read for a little bit. But for a longer flight, so we take the British Airways flight that goes direct from San Diego to London whenever we go over to visit family in Scotland. That's a 10 plus yep. hour flight. I can't read one, like I can't just do one book. I'll do like the movie. I'll read my book. I might have a magazine if I want to just kind of like get through like a couple little like short articles that I don't have to really pay attention to. So I like to have a good variety of things. You. I know. Fully loaded Kindle. I, I mean, of course. That's, that's all I need. That's <laughs> literally insert nerd emoji. <laughs> Although when I come back, from European trips. I European al- vacation? European vacation. <laughs> I always stop at, you know, like whatever their version of Hudson News is, yeah. whatever country you're in. And yeah. I get some of the like local fashion magazines. Yeah. Because it's like, it's a no brainer. Like you don't have to really pay attention. I'm if you're kind of like. At the pictures, let's be honest. If here. you're kind of at the point of the flight where you're like, I'm tired, but I can't fall asleep, but I'm too tired to like really pay attention to whatever book I'm reading or I don't want to watch a movie magazines are great for that yeah okay 
travel snack. Go to um, travel snack. So this is dorky, but I just recently discovered them, and I'm like, how have I lived my entire life without these? They're called mescla protein bars. They're vegan plant protein I've never heard bars. Of them. They're so good. I like the Mexican chocolate one. Of course you do, because you're Mexican. Exactly. Braces. So it's so <laughs> colonialism. <laughs> um, they're just delicious. Are they spicy? A little bit. They got yeah. a little bit of like a that. A little kick that cinnamon. Chili, yeah, yeah. A little bit of chili in them. Um, but they're great. They're easy. And I tend to pack like way more than I need for a flight. I'll actually put them in my suitcase inception because then... I have them Yeah. Um, if I'm out and about. And they're actually really great when you're traveling with a significant other because when they get fucking crabby and you're busy, you can just throw one at them. Literally. Literally. Stick a fucking protein bar in your mouth. Yeah. Yes. So there you have it. And mm-hmm. you. A ham sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> it, okay. It's not technically a snack. I mean, it could be a snack. But I literally pack myself a ham sandwich for every flight. So, like, even when you travel from here, so like when you went to Sedona recently, did you pack yourself a ham? Yes, I had a ham and arugula sandwich. I had a ham and arugula sandwich. So, here's the thing I have been on enough flight delays, like layover delays, cancellations Uh, where you're stuck somewhere, and you're starving. And, um, the one that comes to mind is I got stuck in Dallas. And it was the last flight of the night, so all the restaurants were closed. And I had to spend the night in Dallas Airport. Nope. And I had my ham sandwich that I packed at my parents' house before leaving Florida. And I like I was like, I have my fucking ham sandwich. I have my dinner. So a ham sandwich is my go-to. Like, I literally will always have a ham sandwich. And if I'm leaving somewhere where obviously I can't make the ham sandwich... I will try to find somewhere to buy something, like, equivalent. That has to be good, though. Like, in Spain, it's super easy to buy a fucking I mean, I do, so, bocadillo de jamón. Like, that's super easy. But, like, when you're leaving Florida, oof, absolutely I mean, not. Yeah. I mean, for a flight like that, I do I do also partake in... A ham uh, sandwich. Uh, bocadillo de jamón. Yeah. Um, my signature move is I buy two. I eat one during the meal service, which is usually like right around Spanish yeah. lunchtime, so that makes sense. And then the other one I save until about right before landing because you minutes, can't bring a ham sandwich yeah, in thirty minutes before <laughs> we're going to land, and then I eat it like a ravenous animal that's never going to eat again. Yeah, so that's my move. I feel like on airplanes, I'm just always hungry. I feel like it doesn't matter what also kind of enough. breakfast I had, oh my God. what I, you like, oh. what I, I've obviously done nothing but sit on a fucking plane for 10 hours, but I'm like, I'm hungry. Oh my, the last So that ham sandwich is usually like, it's, it, probably people look at me and they're like, she hasn't seen food in days. I I'm like, no. Nah. So the last flight. Oh, bless I you, Penny. <laughs> my goodness. The last flight I took, I had two ham sandwiches. I had chips. I had like some nuts. Yes. And then on the fucking. And her protein bar. On the, I have a protein, <laughs> on the fucking plane, I bought like olives. I bought yeah. some like cookies. I bought like, I oh, I bought some popcorn because I was watching his show. Like, You're like, I need popcorn. <laughs> yeah. so we I'm need, so okay, hungry. dear listener, we need to know if you also have experienced the phenomenon of. Just being hungry on flights, even though you're doing nothing and you've you've eaten a proper meal. Literally nothing. <laughs> All right, last uh, last little Shawinigans uh, item here. What part of home do you take with you when you go on a trip? Uh, so I have a necklace I always wear when I travel, and it has three um, religious medallions on them and i have bought them i bought one when i was with my traveling with my mom bought one when i was traveling with my dad and i bought one when i was traveling with my husband so that's always like a little piece that of home that i take with me christianity catholicism it's it's part of the colonial condition. What is a Mexican if not a product of colonialism? God stuff. Yeah, well. Lord. Also, yeah, you know what? Maybe I'll go to heaven if my plane crashes. She's been watched over. <laughs> and what do you take with you? So funnily enough, it's also a necklace, oh, but yeah. I have um, all the dog's initials, like oh. little like initial charms. Mm-hmm. So... Um, when we traveled to Spain a few years ago, and I, we just had the one dog, I lost that necklace at TSA. And Did I you take it off? Yeah, because it's metal. 
and I had to take it off. And the little, the C came off the necklace and went flying somewhere. And it's tiny. It's really small. Right. And I was free. I was literally in tears because it was the beginning of our trip. We were going to be gone for three weeks. And I was like, this is a really bad sign. All the TSA people were trying to help me. They were like on their hands. We were all on our hands and knees trying to find this thing. And this random TSA guy comes up and he goes, what are you guys looking for? And I was like, it's a little C charm for a necklace. 30 seconds later, he's like, is this it? <laughs> His name was Robert. Aww. And I took a picture with him. I have, a, I have a picture with him. And I was like, you literally like. We're going to have to find that for the Instagram for sure. I have it. Oh, perfect. Yep, I have it. Yep. <laughs> Everyone, so, you're going to get to know Robert. <laughs> yeah, so there's something, you know, just like about taking something, something from home with you that, that reminds you of home. Well, and also, I for think me. that's interesting that both of us have chosen things from home that are, that are related to, like, people, I count dogs as people, yeah. who are important to us, yes. right, and who mean yeah. So, I mean, for yeah. me, home is like that group of right. people, right? Yeah. Aw, so, look at us ending Schwein again on such a nice on note. On such a, a nice note. Who are we? Who the fuck are we? I don't know. It's time to drink more. It's time. Schwein everyone. For episode 58, which is Drea's vacation pick or bucket list vacation pick, uh, we have the Spear Seaward Pinotage from 2020 in the coastal region of South Africa. The price point for this wine is around $20, make you holla. The ABV is 14.5%, so perfect for a 2 p.m. podcast recording. Yeah, we're doing, it's now technically 349 so Okay, we're so great. we're fine. Uh, Fully acceptable. <laughs> And it scored 95 points on Decanter. Yeah, I mean, so I don't know. I don't really put a lot of stock in that shit because I, I feel like there's a lot of... Pay to play? Mm, yeah, there's <laughs> a lot of money that goes around and like there's not a lot of blind tasting, right? So it's like you don't actually know what you're, ta- you're, you know what you're tasting. So uh, anywho, why don't you tell us a little bit about this varietal called Pinotage, not to be confused with Pinot Noir. Yes. Foreshadowing. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Dun. <laughs> uh, so we are drinking a Pinotage. Oh, we are? I didn't mention are. that. And this is a red wine grape that is <laughs> the signature varietal of South Africa's wine industry. Uh, and Pinotage is really interesting. So full disclosure, we did do an episode in season one that featured a wine that was part Pinotage. Um, but you know, we thought it was worth revisiting and South Africa, as Jules mentioned, is my bucket list destination here. But Pinotage is a great varietal that was created in South Africa. Um, so this is a, you know, a, a blend of grapes. Um, it was created in 1924 by the first professor of viticulture at Stellenbosch University, Abraham Isaac Perold. And it is crossed between Pinot Noir and Cinso. Uh, and it's become the heritage wine of South Africa. The first wine from this grape was vinted in 1941 at Ilsenberg Agricultural College with the first commercial plantings at Myrtle Grove. So it, to me, it's really interesting how some of these grapes come to be. And we've seen a number of these in quote-unquote new world like wine areas, including... Uh, Central and South America, the United States, especially like when you get up into like the Finger Lakes and Great Lakes regions and things like that. This grape typically produces a deep red wine with smoky and earthy flavors and notes of tropical fruit like banana, which sounds both insane and appealing in a red wine. So um, I'm interested to see what that looks like. Now, for this particular bottle, we read that you really should open it up and let it decant for about an hour. So we did do that. Um, I Look will, at us. I know. Just being responsible Yay. adults. Um, I did not get notes of tropical fruit and banana when we opened it up. So it'll be interesting to see when we do the tasting what that what what comes to fruition. But, okay, so here's what I'm thinking a little bit of, though. Banana slash plantain. 
and plantain, like when you, there's ways to cook plantain where it's a little more like savory, savory than right. sweet. Almost like meaty in a sense. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, fried with a little bit of salt and stuff. So I feel like Girl, I could kind of like. I fucking love plantain oh, chips. Yes. You take me to the Cuban restaurant, no plantain is safe. <laughs> I'm with you on that. Puerto Rican tostones. Like, oh, I'm fucking on, on it. Yep. So, like, toast, like think about tostones. Yeah. Rather than, like, banana, banana bread. Or, like, That's a good you idea, know, yeah. yeah. So, it's, like, not the sweet side of a tropical fruit, but, like, the savory side. I like this. I like okay. this is going. All right. She so, grew up in South America. So, you know, there's true. that. Yes. Um, so, throughout history, the grape has seen its plantings rise and fall due to trends in South African's wine industry. And um, probably apartheid. For Oh, okay. <laughs> in the early 1990s, for example, after the end of a part oh. of <laughs> You can tell she didn't read yeah, through I the whole tell, document. The I skimmed really it. I skimmed it. I skimmed it. I skimmed some parts. Oh, oh Jesus. <laughs> also, look at me knowing my history. I know. Oh, my God. Look at you. Well, because I do. Fail. Have a, I, have a, I have a family member that lives there, like I said. So, you know. Kind of have to know about stuff. So at the end of apartheid, uh, the world's wine market was really finally opening up to South African wine, and many winemakers decided not to produce Pinotage, uh, and instead focused on more internationally recognized varietals such as Syrah and Cabernet. Um, but it's really towards the end of the 20th century that the grape's fortunes begin to turn, and by 1997 commands higher prices than any other South African grape. And I think this is interesting because this really speaks to, you know, that cultural moment of South Africa opening up after the end of such a brutal segregation system Um, and having to kind of put its name out on the world stage, right? And we've seen this time and time again with these new world wine regions where there, and I, I hesitate to call South Africa that because when we get into the history, you're going to see that they've been producing wine for a very, very long time. But this idea of, okay, well, now that these markets are open, we have to we have to provide what the market wants, right? And that's something that we still see in the wine industry. So, for example, um, in California, you know, everyone used to make a Chardonnay. And many of them were bad. And now everyone makes a fucking Pinot, even places that probably shouldn't. And a right. lot of them aren't great. So you, you kind of see that reflected in this, this history a little bit as well. Um, some historians and wine critics have suggested that part of some of South African winemakers' hesitancy over the production of Pinotage stems from the fact that it's a distinctly new world wine. While the trend for South African wine is to reflect more European influences and flavors, which makes sense because of colonialism, obviously. Uh, and despite being across from a Burgundy and a Rome grape, Pinotage reflects none of these flavor profiles of these classic French wines um, that these grapes typically produce. So again, though, colonialism, right? Kind of re-level setting those expectations. But latest trends show growth in an attempt to claim or reclaim, shall we say, the wine heritage of South Africa with the quality, demand, and supply of Pinotage growing significantly, especially in international markets. So before we really get into um, the region and the terroir and all of that stuff, it's time for some fun facts with Jules. Do, 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 do. We really fun need facts some... with Jules. We need a little like need a intro little... to that. You know, maybe we can get um, Rob to sing us. Hot Rob to sing us. Oh no, we're gonna lose our listener. Silver Fox to sing the song. <laughs> Silver Fog. <laughs> <laughs> fun facts Thanks, with Jules. Jules. Slow jams. Oh, uh, we got. That's it. not the right. That's not the right jam. That's not the right vibe for fun facts. Yeah, we need like a little. He's a little too serious. I think you mean sexy. We need like <laughs> Zozo the bozo to do fun facts with Jules. <laughs> I'm psycho. Anyway, fun facts with Jules about the Pinotage. So, in addition to South Africa, Pinotage is also grown in Brazil, Welcome. my home country. Hello. Hi. Uh, Canada, Israel. New Zealand and the United States and Zimbabwe. So here in the U.S. specifically, winemakers in Arizona, mm, California, yay, Michigan, uh, Oregon, yay, are currently growing, growthing, growthing, growing, growing, 
I know. Again, read the I document before we do I this. I know, but I, no, I read the document, but I like it. Growthing. It should be a word. Uh, currently growing and experimenting with this unique hybrid. And so, you know, the more you know. Reading rainbow. Oh, I love it. Uh, despite its newfound popularity, South Africa's most planted grape is actually not Pinotage, but it's a tie between Chenin Blanc and a Cabernet Sauvignon. Tracks. Um, I would say that South Africa, to me, typically, I would think of a, a white wine. White wine. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. And those are actually easier to find in the U.S. market. So I did find quite a few Chenin Blancs. But she struggled to find this Pinotage. I, str- I was on the struggle bus hard. She but did. I, I really wanted a Pinotage. I wanted a specific. We almost gave up on it. I No, I never gave up. Dear she listener, was, she was thinking up. about it. I never gave up. <laughs> I would go to the ends of the earth for our listeners. Anywho, uh, part of the reason for Pinotage's struggle to gain popularity is some bad press that it received. In 1976, the year before I was born, a meeting of the British Masters of Wine, which, I'm sorry. (laughs) What wine has great britain produced that were all like yeah y'all know what you're doing we drank that chapel downs remember it was okay <laughs> but i mean think about the time though so like one, okay think about colonialism one i know you want to and and think about two like that time period where so you have like wine connoisseurs and masters who are I mean, they're really not even popping up in in Spain and Italy that much. They're like they're based France, in France. They're based in, in the in UK. London. Yeah, they're based in you know New York and the U.S. Even Napa isn't fully on the map at that time, right? So like this type of publicity fucking kills you. But go on. So anyway, this is supposed to be fun facts with tools, but Drea took over. God. So anyway, in 1976, the British Masters of Wine called Pinotage hot and horrible. <laughs> And said that's the a good t- drag name, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome <laughs> to the stage, hot and horrible. And said the taste was reminiscent of rusty nails. Oof, oof, ouch. I mean, that's gonna make me run out and buy this fucking <laughs> bottle of wine. That's for sure. Uh, the best Pinotage comes from well-run, low-output vineyards. And in some cases, some people have tended the same vines for over 60 years with single vineyard and even single block wines available of Pinotage. So that's kind of cool. Um, good Pinotage is dry, full-bodied, like a woman should be, and well-balanced, uh, making it especially good for pairing with barbecued meats, Look foreshadowing to perhaps our food pairings. Um, more specifically about spear vineyards, they work really hard to make wines in a sustainable way, which you know here at Two Girls and a Grape is something that is something that we like to focus on and is important to us as we think about what wines to select. Uh, the winery recycles approximately 100% of black and gray wastewater and sends only 3% of its total waste to a landfill. Which is pretty amazing. That's radical. Yeah. As our friend Sonia at Casa Dumas would say. <laughs> uh, Spear also has a hotel on site. So if you were to make a little trek out to South Africa to visit them, it would make these vacation dreams even easier. And I have a feeling that we may see Drea go to. So that is one of the things I want to do. Yeah. Is stay on a winery in South Africa. Yeah. Like goals goals i mean just goals in general just stay on property at any winery anywhere yeah i mean I always, i'll just do it anyway I in mexico i'll drive to mexico and do it like I, italy it in mexico. yeah i've done like, it in mexico. i'll do it i've done it in spain i will do it on a car i will do it in a bar. <laughs> of course you will do it in a bar <laughs> all right drea tell us a little bit more about the region that um these uh that this particular grape is grown in So encompassing eight districts and 17 wards, those are kind of the designations within South Africa's domain of origin system. Uh, These, this area, the coastal region is pretty much in the Western Cape and it includes South Africa's top wine producing areas, Stellenbosch and Swarthland. The coastal region, region contains half 
of all of South Africa's land under vine, encompassing an area that follows the Atlantic coastline from northern Darling to Cape Point. So it is not only a large region, um, but this is really where they're producing a vast majority of the wines. Okay, so South Africa has like one wine growing region for they the most o- part. They have others, but this is by far the most prolific. Okay. Um, and then within this one, there's eight districts and 17 like smaller, like little sub, what we would think of as AVAs, right? So we know where Drea areas. is going to be focusing her trip on. I mean, obviously. Obviously. Clearly. Duh. Also, it's coastal, so like, why not? Who doesn't want that, right? Yeah. Um, and so, let, yeah, let's talk about that coastal terroir. So oceans, mountains take turns cooling and shielding the region's vineyards. And though the climate warms... Um, as one, you know, moves inland, just like it does in California's central mm-hmm. coast, yeah. right? There is a marked difference between the delicate white wines that are produced near the very edge of the Cape and Cape Town and the more robust reds in the desert-like region of Parle, for example. Um, so, you know, you're getting... I think what's really interesting about their terroir is it's actually very comparable to what you do see in California's central coast, where it, it starts almost at you know the coastline itself but then as you go inland you find that you have a lot of different growing options that is friendly to many different grape varietals and makes for a whole plethora of styles of wine Um, i also want to acknowledge though that we can't talk about wines from south africa without talking about the history of how grape vines got there so Colonialism? How did you know? So South Africa was (laughs) colonized by the Dutch um, as a result of voyages by the Dutch East India Company in the 1600s. And during that time, early settlers planted wine grapes to meet the needs of thirsty sailors. Um, And one of the first wines of note was a dessert wine called Constantia. Constantia? Constantia. Constantia. Uh, Oh, we might have to like... Try to find that. Uh, they don't make it anymore. Oh, because you like, didn't never read heard this of it. Entire episode. So, well, <laughs> but I think it, it's like me not reading all the things sometimes makes for an interesting discussion. I'm just saying. So yeah, it's it's no longer in production, but I'll tell you why in just a okay. second. Before we get there, though, um, the other thing about this coastal region is this is the birthplace of South Africa's wine industry. So it really begins here in the coastal region. Um, the Cape's second governor, Simon van der Sil, Oh, that is such a Dutch name. <laughs> established wow. a wine estate um, that and was responsible for establishing the town of Schellenbosch in 1679, which he named for himself. Of course he, was a he did. Real modest guy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> then French Huguenot refugees who settled in the Cape in the late 17th century brought vines and winemaking know-how to their new homes, particularly in the northern Cape areas of Pearl um, and Swartland. So, you know, we really see that period in the late 17th century developing from multiple European influences. The wine industry thrives, though, um, like most agricultural industries during this time, due to slave labor, which was introduced in South Africa in 1658. And I think it's really important to both acknowledge that um, and highlight it because, you know, this wine in many cases, as we've, as we've seen over the years here are two grapes and a, two girls and a grape, excuse me. Is also very, two grapes and a girl. Also that. I mean, <laughs> when you get multiple bottles in, that's what happens, folks. Um, but, you know, is a sign of that colonial process, right? And as much as we love wine, um, it's definitely part of that legacy. So during the mid-1700s to mid-1800s, dessert wines then become the major force of South African wine industry. And this is these are the grapes that are primarily planted under vine, um, and they were even exported to European markets. However, production came to a screeching halt with, of course, phylloxera, which does That's reach... That's stupid phylloxera! ...South Africa and completely decimates... Um, the crop. So that is why today you cannot find that particular wine anymore. Ah, but you know what? I could have read this whole thing and I wouldn't, that wouldn't have told me that. 
Yes, you could. It doesn't specifically say that that's why that's not made anymore. Well, for You'd have to really sake. be smart to make the fucking connection and inference. Context clues. Context clues. I don't, I don't, I can't. Stop drinking while you're reading. <laughs> <laughs> but then I wouldn't do this podcast. That's true. That's so 100%. take it back. She, ugh, I'm sorry. Also, <laughs> I think Phylloxera would be a really good dog name. <laughs> Zozo, your name is now Phylloxera. She, she's, she's on the couch. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we did think about naming her Lucifer because she's such an asshole. Phloxera. Phloxera. Just the path of destruction. This is your new nickname. One of many oh that you have. The Bozo. Phloxera. <laughs> <laughs> that also be a good, really, like, good female wrestling name. I was going to say Phloxera. Oh, drag name. Or drag name, yeah. yes. That would be my drag name. <laughs> All right, let's talk about specifically... Spear winery and the mine, the winemaker and this wine. Yeah, so I, you know, I wanted a, I wanted to highlight a producer that one people could find here in the the U.S. Obviously, right? so you could. We get, did not fly to South Africa and no, buy this wine. Not yet. I mean, I if someone if someone wants to sponsor us, we'd be I'm, happy to do it. I'd be happy to smuggle things back. Um, <laughs> oh, she does too. <laughs> So, you know, I wanted to get something that was, one, obtainable. I wanted to get something, uh, a vineyard that made a pinotage. And I wanted to really find a vineyard that was historic in nature. Mm-hmm. And so I got very lucky. After very lucky. A she very long search. put in a lot of effort to find this bottle. Everybody. I was bouncing all around the county. She went to a lot of <laughs> stores. She drank a lot of wine. I called people. It was a hot night. I hate yes. calling people. All right. <gasps> oh, you should have had Hot Rob do it. Oh, you should have. He's my call guy. Because I don't like talking on the phone. John's, he makes all yeah, the phone calls. I love that. All right, so Spire understands and very openly acknowledges the complex history of winemaking in South Africa. So I, that was something I appreciated right, right mm-hmm. away. Their website, if you visit them, traces a timeline that reveals more than most descriptions of the region. And so I do want to share some of the highlights for you. Jules, go f- feel free to take your nap at this point uh. in time. This is where Jules exits left. Yeah. So the Spire Farm was established Spear. by... Spear. Is it Spear or Spear. Is it Spire? Did we listen to the thing? Spear. Okay, Spear. Yeah, Spear. Um, was established by Arnon Jens in 18... That is a very Dutch name. Jens. 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 It's actually Jens. Oh, was it Jens? If it's Dutch, it's Jens. Jens. The okay. J is pronounced with a Y. Arnon Jens. I have an um, uncle Jan. J-A... I have an aunt Jan. In uncle, Scotland. And an Uncle Jan. And an Uncle Jan, who is Dutch. He's fucking international. Both spelled the same way? Um, Hi, Aunt Jan. <laughs> Hi, Uncle Jan. Okay, <laughs> he so, doesn't listen. No, boo. So, um, it, so Jan uh, establishes the farm in 18, 1683, excuse me. And the vineyard is not planted until 1692. Not even 20 years after Van der Seel established the first winery in the area. And today, it is South Africa's oldest operating wine cellar, which I think is pretty cool. Um, by I'd s- go there. Right? By 7, do they have a hotel? By 1754. <laughs> do they have a pool? <laughs> probably. It's South Africa. <laughs> come on. By 1754, there are over 30,000 vines growing on the Spear Vineyard. And they are already known as one of the best producers in the region. So this is not just an old producer. This is an old producer that very quickly kind of came to the top of their game. By 1825, there are 80,000 vines on the estate. All, again, which I really want to emphasize, are harvested by slave labor. Okay, so that's really... You know, now we're starting to get into almost industrial-style production with that many vines... Um, but in 1834, slavery is formally abolished in South Africa. But the law requires that slaves must serve a four-year apprenticeship under their current masters before they are freed, which is just like fucking blew my loopholes. Yeah, fucking loopholes, man. I didn't know. Um, and you know the fact that the Spear family, you know, or the Spear family vineyard now, like really is transparent about this history lots of places aren't and anywhere in the quote-unquote new world where there's agricultural practices 
I promise you, they have been those practices have been cultivated by slave labor, labor yeah. forced labor, mm-hmm. um, underpaid labor. Yeah. I mean, we still see it in the California agricultural areas today, right? So, um, I think it's really important that they're sort of acknowledging that. Um, of course, after that eighteen thirty nine, you know, deadline, Spear takes. A dive, right? As most agricultural industries did post-slavery. I mean, you can even look at like tobacco and cotton in the United States South and see those parallels. Um, and the property is sold to Seal Joubert, Joubert? 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 in 1965. So it kind of sits dormant for some time. And Joubert works to revitalize the vineyard um, and in 1971, the first bottle under the new Sphere label is released. In 1995, the new cellar was built, and it has a capacity pr- to produce 50,000 cases of wine per year. So this is not a small production operation, That's right? what I have in my garage. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's now what I have in my house. It is, actually, yes. <laughs> Um, Drea's house is actually built out of wine bottles. <laughs> oh my god, could you imagine that? So at Knott's Berry Farm, they have a bottle house, and yeah. I was always fascinated by it as a child. Not surprising. And now I'm sure now you know why. Those are like this fucking alcohol. The foreshadowing. Yeah. The foreshadowing was there. Um, so yeah, they they are a huge producer, which is one of the reasons why, frankly, we can get their wines in the U.S. Um, in 2012, the vineyard addresses its past and commissions an outdoor mosaic sculpture by artist Marco Cianfanelli. 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 I'm assuming he's Italian, so Cianfanelli. Definitely sounds Italian, yep. but I. Um, called the Dying Slave. Uh, Oof, that's a, not depressing. No, not at all. In addition, the Aspire organization is committed to supporting arts that highlight the history and heritage of South Africa. And they now have their own arts foundation, which I think is really cool, too. In 2015, Spear becomes organically certified after a three-year process of, well, three-year application process. In 2016, they win the Gateway Award for Leadership in Water Conservation. Um, as Jules pointed to, their practices are quite radical, further demonstrating their commitment to sustainable farming practices. In 2018, they launch Growing for Good an investment initiative that seeks to, quote, empower communities to make positive and environmental change. And projects that they have sponsored include community food gardens, wildlife conservation measures, climate change research and initiatives, and professional support for youth, especially those who are planning to go into the wine industry. In addition, in 2018, Spirit is also named South Africa's Producer of the Year at the International Wine and Spirits Competition. So um, since revitalizing the vineyard in the 70s, they have grown quite a bit. Um, and I think, you know, I want to applaud them for really taking ownership, not only of, you know, the pretty dark history that the property has, but trying to do some good. Um, I love this idea of growing for good. I love the idea of a vineyard going, giving back. You know, we recently talked about Tank Garage um, here in California and the community work that they do. And I think that whenever a, a vineyard can really highlight not just the terroir, but the people who have contributed to the legacy of that terroir, it's a good thing. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to get into this bottle. Yeah, we like a good cause. We do like a good cause. So, um, speaking of good causes, are we ready to um, open this up? We are. Let's do it. So, here we are at our favorite part of the podcast where we actually get to drink the wine that we've talked about for the last two hours. It is uh, not. <laughs> Listen, we had a snack and maybe a bottle of rosé. I like to be dramatic and I like hyperbole. So let's talk about uh, the color. So um, as Drea mentioned a little earlier in the podcast, we did actually open this because uh, Jules had read that you're supposed to decant this for at least an hour. 
So we did pour a little bit into our glasses and we actually then tasted at that time and made a couple of notes so we could compare and contrast once it opened up for a couple of hours versus what it tasted like straight out of the bottle. So color really was the same. Like that doesn't really change. So let's talk about what, what it looks like in the glass. I mean, this thing is like inky, inky as fuck. Yeah. It is a super dark, inky red. Yeah. Um, really beautiful though. It I mean, looks like a Zinfandel. Yeah, kind of. I mean, color-wise, it looks like a Zin, kind of between a Zin and a Cab. So if you're thinking Pinotage, you know, thinking Pinot Noir, Sinsol, no, which are like lighter no, bodied wines this is not that no and you know that's interesting too because you know we were talking about earlier that um the pinotage has almost zero characteristics of a pinot noir yeah either one of those grapes right wine i mean rhone or bordeaux style grapes and yeah i mean it is super dark i mean it's It's very dark me like malbec vibes a little bit right it's in color. Yep. And it's also giving me like holiday vibes. Like this would be like a winter. Yeah. A winter sure. drinking wine. I mean, maybe not the best for a now 4.30 p.m. on a Wednesday summer. in the Wednesday. summer in San Diego where but it's finally know, summer. But whatever, no, but fine. I'm saying like this feels a little richer. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Well, and it's got that 14.5% ABV, right? So it's a little higher than we, we normally. This explains a lot of things yeah. that are happening right now in my body. <laughs> my lips feel numb body talks <laughs> body talks uh, also uh, one thing that we noted on this is legs for days like fucking long days. legs like crazy Jules town. size legs <laughs> not Drea legs not Drea has short legs Jules has really long legs not, so. not many like, not little mini legs and this is a 2020 so that's impressive mm-hmm. but yeah they're just those sound effects okay okay on the nose okay let's talk about pre-decanting so like when we first poured this out there was some very interesting (laughs) so on my on on jules's part of course because she always has the the crazy shit comes out of her mouth full smoke a little bit of like petrol or like rocket fuel which is actually pretty consistent with Tasting notes and um, smelling notes on a Pinotage. So, but yeah, I was definitely getting those. I got a really weird, nostalgic fish sticks, like frozen fish sticks that you bake in the oven that my granny used to bake for us when we were in Scotland, like as a kid. Like it just was like this immediate hit. And I think it was more like the smokiness of it that was... You know, like when you bake something, it has a slightly smoky but, flavor so to it. But this is why I love wine, though, right? Because it's so referential. Yeah. Like, it can remind you of... It took me back to being in this apartment 100... We had to walk 196 steps up to this apartment above a bank building <laughs> in the middle of downtown Glasgow, Scotland, where Granny and Granda lived in, like, fish sticks. That's what... I was like, that put me... Literally, I could, like, visualize all of that. And then, I loved it. Then she just held the bottle and rocked back and forth. And for then a while. I cried. <laughs> it's fine. Um, Jules but, is fine. Everyone, she's fine. She's, she's doing fine. Great. She's doing great. <laughs> but we both agreed it is a little like fumy. Whether that be yes. like and fumy, we decided is an actual word. We were we're saying it's fumy. Um, okay, so we have now since decanted. It's been sitting there for a good hour and a half, I would say. Um. I'm not going to lie. It's still kind of fumey. Yeah. It's, there's a yeah. sharpness to the nose. I mean, it does mellow and you get some of that like red fruit. Like, mm-hmm. um, think though, like sour raspberries, like underripe blackberries, kind of um, like first fruit of the season style where like that. Those, Everything that makes you kind of pucker a little bit. Yeah. Those sugars yeah. haven't developed. You get that little tickle at the base of your nose. The almost. wasabi. I call it the wasabi oh, tickle. That's actually a really good. That where um, you're like, you have to like hold your, oh your nose yeah. and, ah, and then it's gone. Yep. Like it doesn't yeah. linger. It's like a hit, quick hit and then it's gone. And I know we're not really selling you on this dear listeners at this point, but we promise it does. It, it does get better. So when we 
We took a little sip pre-decant. And first of all, I want to say that we were both very surprised at how smooth it was straight out of the bottle. Especially because of what was happening on the nose. Yeah, we were like, oh man, what? It was like a totally different wine. It was a very like easy sipper. It's smooth. Nice depth with like those tobacco and plum notes. But at the end... It did have pepper. a very like peppery finish and that almost, black again, pepper again hitting your sinuses. Right, like, yeah, right up there at the t- at the base mm-hmm. of your nose. We're just like, ooh, little tickle. So I called it a sinus cleanser. Very nice. Which I don't think any wine <laughs> wants that to be as part of their description. It's like a wine neti pot. The you know the fucking <laughs> Vicks vapor rub of wine. Oh, I just put it on my chest. Let's see all right, should we take, so post to camp? Yes. We take a sip? All right, let's do it. Fruit is much more pronounced, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. And, and more variety of fruit. So I'm getting, you know, Bing cherry and black, <laughs> black plum <laughs> and, and currants. Um, really nice, deep red, dark red and black fruits there. Um, I'm still getting though on, it is still smooth too. Like Mm -hmm. it's definitely an easy drinker. Um, I am still getting that pepper on the finish though. It's not as pronounced. Yes. But it's still there. I feel like it went from the more of a black pepper. Like I want to kind of not sneeze, but a little bit of that feeling to more of like a green pepper. Yeah, just a little like more like, zippy, a little shape. shift, yeah. like a fresher pepper shift than like a. I want to. That really hit me in my sinuses. Yeah. yeah, no, I agree. But I'm overall, you know, for about a twenty dollar price point and a large producer, and again, you know, these are sustainably produced wines. The vineyards are certified mm-hmm. organic. Um, I would say it's definitely like a good value for, for what you're getting. So I feel like this would be a really good holiday wine. Yeah. I mean, it can definitely stand up to some food. So let's talk Thanksgiving, about that. Christmas, like any of that stuff. Ham. Oh, sorry. Ham, turkey, like. <laughs> a ham sandwich. Ham. Oh. <laughs> I love a ham sandwich. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about our pairings. Um. Jules, what are you eating with this wine besides a ham sandwich? So when I was reading about this wine, there was something that stood out to me about sort of like pairing for food. And it said something about like a punchy sausage. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God, 100% our local butcher shop, Sepulveda, does every Thursday they release like their new flavors of sausages and there's always like so many different flavors but I feel like definitely I would go to their like flavor menu and be like all right let me pick a Argentino chorizo or an andouille sausage or even their, uh, like, um, like a hot Italian or even I mean their, I'll take a hot Italian but also I the mean, sausage who doesn't want a hot Italian <laughs> <laughs> they're um uh, Asian green chili one. Yeah. Would be good with this. Yeah. Uh, they have a roasted garlic. Yeah, Which I think would be really which good is, with this. It has a little bit of spice to it. Yeah. So I feel like. We're both uh, fans. Can you tell? Really like good grilled like proper sausage. Not just like a fucking like. Brat that you buy at the grocery store. But like go to go to a butcher Some shop Jimmy where they Dean? make. Yeah. <laughs> Go to your butcher get, shop and like buy homemade breakfast sandwich. <laughs> buy, you know, like the homemade sausages. I think would be really good with this on the grill. Yeah, I do think that this can stand up to some like pretty serious meats. And yeah. so like, you know, I'm thinking I'm, I'm I know we've talked about like holiday meals and our fucking ham sandwich and stuff, but I'm thinking like what about summertime foods right and so like a grilled sausage is as a cookout or definitely one yeah either as a sauce like a sandwich style or like if you just grill sausages put it on a platter with like some like grilled veggies and stuff and it's more right. platter style would be great but i'm also thinking like this would be amazing with brisket oh um, this would tri-tip be tri-tip even barbecue chicken like yeah really, i made a barbecue yeah. chicken salad um last weekend because you know this bitch loves a salad 
Um, and I had like fire roasted corn, mm-hmm. and bell peppers, and all. Oh, that'd be good. Yeah, there, you know the peppers so for sure. So you're getting like something fresh, but extra. also something that goes well extra. Well, extra. I like it. Do have some blue cheese in there? I know that. I, I would die. Like, I would die. Okay, so what is your situation slash entertainment for this wine? Even though I don't like jazz, I kind of see myself in like a smoky jazz you club. Hate jazz. I don't like jazz. But like I'm picturing, so there was this, again, this wine is really like bringing me into a nostalgic stage. Wow. There was this place in Philadelphia when I lived in Philly that was off of Broad Street, which is one of the, the main arteries of Philadelphia. And you like walk down a set of stairs into like a basement club. So it was like that kind of like dark, musty, smoky, nightclub-y. And it was a jazz club. And I feel like this would just fit in really well there, even though I wouldn't like the music. But just the atmosphere. I think the atmosphere would be, that would be like what this would fit into. So you're sitting somewhere in a dark room listening to jazz. Oh, sounds terrible. No, I love that for you. Hot Rob, Hot Rob loves this situation. Yeah, I want this journey for both of you. Yeah. Okay, date night, date night. Except Jules is like, we need to leave now. (laughs) Jules is like, I'm out of wine. We're getting the fuck out of here. Wine glass wine, I'm done. (laughs) How about you? Situation. Okay. Um. I mean, so this is, I think, yeah, I'm trying to stay within our summer vibes here. This is like for a perfect alfresco evening where mm-hmm. like the marine layers rolled in a little bit, but it's still, you know, you've got that summer air going on. I'm going to light the chiminea smoke. Um, I'm going to pour this. I'm going to have our dinner of something meaty and I will be listening to because I simply cannot fucking help or control myself. Dave Matthews band. <laughs> hot, <laughs> hot Rob just hit pause. Listen, they're from he South, hit they're stop. From South Africa. They're from South Which Africa. Which I did not know. Hot Rob, did you know this? You should Hot Rob. Because he hates Dave Matthews. Why For all of you them? wondering why Hot Rob is being brought up in this, he does not Why like though? This is what I've never been able to figure. I know we've talked about this, but I've never gotten a good reason. Hot Rob hung up on me one time because I oh, that's right. did the ants deep. marching like intro song. That he hung up on me when we were dating. And I proceeded to call him back and say, bitch, you don't ever hang up on me. And then I hung up on him. And that was it. Real mature. <laughs> Real mature 26-year-old at that point. That grudge runs deep and long. I think he's kind of gotten a a hot rob. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like he's softened on the Dave Matthews. What if you called him, like, today? I mean, not right now. Well, maybe right now. I don't know. (gasps) That would be great. And we're like... What do you think about Dave Matthews? To me. He'd be like, all oh, crashing yeah, to you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. He'd like, be into it. Yeah, I feel like then he'd be like, I'm a fan. I'm a fucking number one fan. I'm going to join yes. Watchtower, the fan club. Like, it's happening. Maybe me. not to that extent. But I think I think at the time, Dave Matthews was so popular that he kind of went the opposite direction of that. He just, yeah. okay. he hated that yeah. it was, like, so popular. No, so, I mean. I think that was it. Dave Matthews was big, like, when I was in college, and you had two contingencies. Like, those of us who were just like, you know what? He's a fucking good musician. I don't care that And the people like that he... hated yeah, it. Yeah, and they were like, yeah. he's fucking a sellout. But yeah. those people hate everything. So everything. I'm like, I'm not worried about yes. this. I'm not worried about it. So Rob, this has now become a podcast about Hot Rob, but it's not. Oh, that's coming later, though. Don't you all worry. <laughs> Foreshadowing. Oh. Oh, yes. Yes, yeah. I was like, what are you talking about? She I don't know what you're talking forgot. about. All right, so we are listening to tunes that are very confusing to most people, apparently, and eating grilled meat. Controversial. Yeah. All right, so to, if you want to purchase this bottle, as you all know, I had quite the time finding exactly what I wanted. She really did. But she mother, went to the ends of the earth to find this bottle. And then I found myself at motherfucking Total Wine for the Oh, win. my God. <laughs> So, 
Um, I got this at Total Wine. Again, this is, I'm going to advocate for two things. Total, your local Total Wine, they are amazing. Not going to lie about it. And, and you know, I saw some when I was perusing the shelves. As she does. As one does. I saw her cart. She sent me a picture. <laughs> she perused a lot. She didn't just peruse. That may have to make it to the Instagram. Um, I, I saw some amazing bottles from like small boutique producers that I've been to or that I know of. So like, you know, give, take an afternoon. Also pro tip, they do free wine tasting on Friday, Saturdays and Sundays in store. Um, We've never done that. We should do that. We should do that. Um, and we can film it. Uh, the other thing I would say is if you're looking specifically like for a Pinotage or for this Pinotage, check out winesearcher.com. Great way to find a specific ball that you're looking for at wine shops in your area. So that's for purchase. For our next bottle, we are continuing the summer fun and mixing it up a bit. So our next episode is featuring one of our save favorite summer sippers, a sangria. <gasps> so stay tuned for our recipes and pro tips. Um, and it's really hilarious because I actually don't like sangria very much. Same philosophy I have with mimosas, just like why? I love sangria, but it has to be a good sangria. Well, so same with mimosas. Yeah. It cannot be half juice, half champagne. It has to be like a splash of juice. A so a whisper. A whisper. A whisper. A whisper of citrus. <laughs> so stay tuned for that. And if you have enjoyed this episode, if you've enjoyed any of our episodes, if you just enjoy us, because let's face it, we're a real good fucking time. Follow us on our <laughs> IG at Two Girls and a Great Pod. That's T-W-O Girls and a Great Pod. And also subscribe, like, and give us a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts. And if it's not a five-star, don't fucking bother. Yeah, don't fuck around. because Just you're do gonna it. Find out. Five That's stars. Right. That's right. We'll so, find you. And we'll find Dear out. listener. <laughs> and with that, till next time. Cheers. Salud. Salud. Fuck around and find out. Fuck around.